0: Morning guys, Good morning. Good morning. you are the real Christians, just especially want to say that, who came out in this weather, it was amazing, yeah, when I saw uh, Warwick and Dez, I knew anybody could come, they come from the country, they need passports to get here, and then Dave and Kathy arrived, and I was like, wow, where's everybody else, so well done for coming, I know it's cold, um, <clears throat> I just wanted to say a little bit quickly about the songs we sang this morning, the first song, I raise a hallelujah was written um, um, some months ago. Um, a friend, Jimmy and Gina, sent us a picture of a little boy, uh, Jackson, Jackson, who was um, had uh, some failure and his organs were shutting down. And it, 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 it had taken about six months, and he was now uh, in the final night of his life. And um, they and Jimmy sent me the picture and said, Yaku, could just pray if you guys, if you can get, just pray. Um, we trust in God for a miracle." And, um, and 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 he was a part of that commu- of the Bethel community, so these, of the church there. So uh, so the guys were around him praying, and while they were praying, they were praying through the night at his bed. Um, this song came out of Jonathan Helse's, uh heart at the particular time to raise a hallelujah louder than the the unbelief, because the the picture that they sent of Jackson, he was he was. I wish I could show you guys. But anyway, he was just like so gaunt. Everything had shut down. There were pipes literally in every cavity of his body just keeping this little boy alive. And um, Anyway, in the, in the room, he just started worshiping God. And this song was born. It came out of something. It came out of uh, raising a hallelujah. That's the only word he could raise. But, but metaphorically, every one of us has a hallelujah, right? A song. It's not the word hallelujah. It's, it's, it's I raise a hallelujah louder than the unbelief. I raise a hallelujah. Um, this, this, my weapon is this melody. And so there's this whole upside down reality of the kingdom of God which, which, which makes the most powerful weapons like songs. Songs that come from your life. And and you don't have to be a good singer. It's got nothing to do with that. um, Singing traditionally is just, not traditionally, but singing inherently is just something that that is a result of something that has moved you emotionally. Slaves sing songs when they were in slavery of freedom. Um, And and for those of us who, who follow Jesus Christ, we have this glorious promise of hope and truth and life with his death and hope with this hopelessness and, uh, and, and 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 faith with this fear do you do you believe that? Yes. You have it in your life. And so when we sing songs like this, um, like initially when I heard the song I was so floored by it, but then I, when I sang it, I felt like I was kind of copycatting it almost and uh, and that's a good and a bad thing because yeah, we're singing somebody else's song that rose up from within them, and God did a miracle. So when they, when they shot the video of this song, when they recorded it for the first time, you can check it out on YouTube, it's called Raise a Hallelujah. The little boy Jackson, and his dad, and his mom, was in the meeting, and he was praising the Lord, little Jackson, he's little, I don't know how old, he's three or four, two maybe, and he was there praising Jesus with his hands up with his dad holding him, right? And I don't think he really had a full comprehension of what happened, but it was a literal miracle that this child made it through the night. The next day, the next t- day when the sun came up, um, you know, we started hearing the, the the news that he made it through the night, and then radically within three or four days, this child was awake, sitting up, eating food. And I think I I, I think that I think that, without exception, in every one of our lives, right this minute. We go through stuff, and in that place, right, in that place, and from that place, I believe God wants to raise, through your life, a song. I really do. I really do. Even even if you're cynical, I do believe that God wants to raise a song. <laughs> I do. I do. Because, really, we're going to start, we're going to look at Matthew 5, the Beatitudes, and... Um, And then we sang that song that Mariah sang afterwards, I praise before my breakthrough, which speaks of a reality that's not here and now. Like I can't see the breakthrough in the here and the now. I I feel like I'm in the dark. I feel like I have no hope. I feel like there's no future. But I will praise you before I see the breakthrough in my life. Okay. All right. Let's move on. Matthew chapter 5. You guys good? Just take a minute and say hi to someone quickly. One minute. Hello, Craig. All right. You know, Jacob, when he was uh, running from his uncle, he he was... Um, he... Let's just pray. Ah, let's just pray. Lord, thank you for the beautiful weather outside. And... Um, that we could have a place where we can come together and, and be together as your church. I take authority now in the spiritual realm over everything that would distract from what you would want to communicate with our hearts this morning, Lord. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would be the overwhelmingly loud voice in this place today. I know that and we know that your word brings life and brings illumination and revelation, freedom, opens our hearts, our eyes, our minds, more than anything in this world could possibly ever do. So I ask that you would open our hearts and speak to us. We open our hearts. We bring our hearts. We lift our songs. We say we love you. We love you, Lord. Holy Spirit, would you fill this place? We breathe you and you in the very atmosphere around us right here, right now. And the fullness of your kingdom is here, available to us, right here, right now. And we want to enter that. Completely. Amen. You know, in Genesis, there's a, there's a story about jo- Jacob. I was ta- starting to tell you about Jacob, and uh, and um, Jacob was so tired that he just decided he's going to sleep on the side of the road. And he lay down. You guys know the story, right? He actually lay in a ditch on the side of the road, and he uh, fell asleep. And he had a dream and a vision. I don't know if it was like an open vision or open dream or whatever it was. But he had a vision of a ladder that that goes up and down into heaven. And the angels were ascending and descending on this ladder. And the the heavens were coming down and the earth was going up. And there was this this collaboration between these two two realities. And Jacob woke up. and This is these words. This is what he said. He said, surely the Lord is in this place. But the interesting thing is, he says, and I didn't know it. So, 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 so for now, for us, for this moment, I want to take that, and I want to just apply it to this space right here, in this time, in this moment. And say, surely the Lord is in this place. Are you aware of it? You know? and, and as a matter of fact, when you go out of this place, and wherever you are, surely the Lord is wherever you are. Wherever we go, we take the reality of the very kingdom of God with us. The very presence of God. So we don't have to say, who will go up there and get the, get the, get the kingdom? Who will, go, who will descend into the depths and bring the kingdom up for us? Now the kingdom is here with us where you are now. And all I'm trying to do is just create this awareness that in the immediate atmosphere around us, the air that we breathe, the very presence of God, is real. He's here. He's imminent. He's here, right now. The kingdom of God is where Jesus and what God wants done is done. You know, and Jesus is the King of that kingdom. A kingdom we know is a place that has a king, You know, it has a currency, it has a, a government, government is on his shoulders, and he has delegated that reality to us as his, as his body, and he, and, he, and he has not stopped, through our lives, and through the lives of millions of believers and followers of Jesus, throughout the earth, he has not stopped revealing the reality of the very present kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven here among us. And that is what the Beatitudes are all about, Matthew chapter 5. And so I want to read it today. When you read the Beatitudes in the past, I don't know about you guys, but I used to read it, blessed are the poor in spirit, for they, will, for they will inherit the kingdom of heaven. I used to read it as, wow, I better try and be poor in spirit so that I can inherit the kingdom of heaven. Anybody read it like that? John, thank you. Wow. Yeah. You and me, bro. And so what it did, it produced in me this guilt, this inherent guilt that I'm, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not poor in spirit, so I'm not, I'm not inheriting the kingdom. But I want to try a different approach there as we read it. Are you guys ready? So we're going to read it, Matthew chapter 5. I'm going to read it out of the Passion Translation. Okay, it's just a beautiful translation. If you can get it, read it. It's amazing. So this is Jesus. He's got huge crowds following him. And he's doing major things on the earth, He's miracles, dead people are rising, blind, see, cripple, and all those kind of things. And he's, and he's always calling and inviting and announcing and pronouncing that the kingdom of heaven has come. So, let's go. One day Jesus saw a vast crowd of people gathering to hear him. So he went up a, on a slope of a hill and he sat down. With his followers and his disciples spread over the hillside, Jesus began to teach them. What wealth is offered to you when you feel your spiritual poverty? For there is no charge to enter the realm of heaven's kingdom. What delight comes to you when you wait upon the Lord? For you will find what you long for. No, I'm reading the TPT, the Passion Translation. Mine says TPT, sorry. I just took it from my Bible software. The Passion Translation. Verse 5. What blessing comes to you when gentleness lives in you? For you will inherit the earth. How enriched you are when you crave righteousness. For you will be surrounded with faithfulness. How satisfied you are when you demonstrate tender mercy. For tender mercy will be demonstrated to you. What bliss you experience when your heart is pure. For then your eyes will open to see more and more of God. How blessed you are when you make peace. For then you'll be recognized as a true child of God. How enriched you are when you bear the wounds of being persecuted for doing what is right. For that is when you experience the realm of heaven's kingdom. How ecstatic you can be when people insult and persecute you and speak all kinds of cruel lies about you. Because of your love for me. So leap for joy, since your heavenly reward is great. For you are being rejected in the same way the prophets were before you. Your lives are like salt among the people. But if you, like salt, become bland, how can your saltiness be restored? uh, Flavorless salt is good for nothing and will be thrown out and trampled by others. Your lives light up the world. Let others see your light from a distance. For how can you hide a city that stands on a hilltop? And who would light a lamp and then hide it in an obscure place? Instead, it's placed where everyone in the house can benefit from its light. So don't hide your light. Let it shine brightly before others. So that the commendable thing you do will shine as light upon them. And then they will give their praise to your Father in heaven. Verse 17. I'm going to read three more verses. If you think I've come to set aside the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets, you're mistaken. I've come to fulfill and bring to perfection all that has been written. Indeed, I assure you, as long as heaven and earth endure, not even the smallest detail of the law will be done away with until its purpose is complete. So whoever violates even the least important of the commandments and teaches others to do so will be least esteemed in the realm of Heaven's kingdom. But whoever obeys and teaches the truth to others will be greatly esteemed in the realm of heaven's kingdom. For I tell you, unless your lives are more pure and full of integrity than the religious scholars and the Pharisees, you will never experience the realm of heaven's kingdom. Isn't that beautiful? So amazing. absolutely love it. The Beatitudes of Jesus are considered among the literally treasures of the human race. They are acknowledged by almost everyone to be among the highest expressions of insight, moral inspiration, and power. We can savor them. We can think about them. We can memorize them. We can meditate on them. We can ask Adriana to write them on a beautiful piece of paper for like a calligraphist and frame them and hang them on our wall. But the ultimate question is this. How do we respond in our lives to the Beatitudes? How do we respond to them? It's a big question. The primary theme of the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5 is that the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand. We have to understand that what Jesus was, what, what, what Jesus was doing here and the Beatitudes. And the theme is key the availability of the kingdom of heaven around us. Remember what I said about Jacob in the beginning. The availability of the kingdom around us is right here, right now, for us to inherit, to walk into. Therefore, it doesn't matter if you're poor in spirit, because the kingdom is available to you. It doesn't matter if you're a loser and you think that no one in the world will ever love you, because the kingdom of God is available to you. And the king of that kingdom invites you into that space. And in every situation, every environment in the world... Mirage has come back from India. If you go to India, if you go to Africa, wherever in the world you go, you will have parameters created by sociology and, and culture. And you, defined by those parameters, you will either feel in or out. When Jesus came, he said, There's no more Jew, there's no more Gentile, there's no more male or female in the kingdom, there's no Greek, there's no slave. There's no Scythian. There's no Africana. There's no Canadian. The invitation is open to everybody and it's available for everybody to enter into the kingdom. I think it's awesome. And I think it's so key because that's our, that's our gospel. That's the good news. No matter where you're at, the kingdom of God is available to you. Does that excite anyone? Awesome. So good. So those who are poor in spirit is now blessed because they can enter the kingdom. Not because they're poor in spirit, but because the kingdom of heaven is now available to all men. I love that. What was righteousness to the scribes and the Pharisees? And I want to just... Drop down to verse 20 and then work my way back up. Read a couple of quotes. That's it. The scribes and the Pharisees were actually good guys. They were like Paul before God took him off his horse, remember? And, and uh, blinded him for a while and then moved the scales and ushered him into a new reality. The reality of the kingdom of heaven on this earth. And I do believe that God, and I've said this so many times, it sounds like a stuck record, I know. But God is positioning us, you. Not just us like a participatory thing that you're just going to go with the flow. It is very much an individual reality that makes the corporate, like what is the, the oomph, the power. It's you. God is placing you and me. And I, I believe that God is positioning us. And I just had a picture of this last night and I was just praying through it. And I'm just going to say to you exactly what I feel. I feel, that there's, there, and, and, uh, I feel that there's major moves of God through history, and you can study them. If you study a little bit, there's lots of stuff. There were basically, in North America and Canada, four major moves of God. And I'm not going to talk about them right now. But I feel we are at the end of a move of God. When I say that, I mean to say that we are in the beginning of a new move of God. I really do feel that. And if we are not... If we are not aware, friends, please hear me, please, if we are not aware of this kingdom reality, we will literally miss it. The scribes and the Pharisees were good guys, and they missed Jesus literally in front of their noses. They missed him because they weren't positioned, they did not become aware of this kingdom reality around them. And so when the king of that kingdom walked right in front of them, they couldn't see it. They could not see the, the kingdom. And it's not like they were without excuse. But John did precede the coming of the, king, of, of, the, of the Christ. And he did preach a baptism of repentance. And he did constantly say, you can read it, repent. Think differently. Guys, think differently. Think differently. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then Jesus walked in and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God was slain before the foundations of the earth. And everyone was like, what are you talking about? The kingdom has come. The very first challenge of Jesus from the Pharisees was after he healed someone. And they said, oh, you've got demonic powers of something because nobody can do this kind of stuff. He says, no, 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 no. The fact that this guy is healed is proof that the kingdom of God has come to earth. And I am the embodied reality of that. And I am inviting you, the poor in spirit, the broken, the needy, the hurt, the reject, the outcast, into the kingdom. It's a big message for us in North America. It's a big deal. And so, yeah, the Pharisees and the Sadducees had a righteousness. And, and, and the, at the at verse 20 of, of, of Matthew 5, after Jesus preaches this beautiful sermon on the Mount, and it's so comprehensive, Eric and I were talking about it this week. Um, and um, all those guys are shoveling snow. Shame, poor guys, but anyway. We were talking about this. We could, you could preach about the Beatitudes for a year, uh, about these, these words that Jesus spoke from the mountain like that, but every single one of them, and every emphasis on every one of those lines, and every one of those verses is, guys, it doesn't matter where you are right now. Let me state the reality of your life, but let me say this. You're welcome to come in the kingdom. Come in. I'm inviting you in. And how do you come in? You cannot come in the kingdom unless you're born again. Born again is not something phrased in the 90s by the charismatic move. It's Jesus' words. You must be born again, which means you must see differently. You must enter in. It says you can't enter in. You'll never see the kingdom unless your attitude is like that of a child. You, 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 You absolutely trust. You absolutely believe. It's such a beautiful reality. And then your life radically changes when you transition from your current re- reality into a kingdom lifestyle. Everything changes. That's why I said we can write it down. We can memorize them. We can memorize the Beatitudes and know them backwards. We can write them on our walls and quote them to our kids and tell them to our friends. But the answer to the question of how do our lives respond to this reality is really the essence of our lives as Christians, as followers of Christ. How do we respond to this reality? If we're numb by it, friends, I don't think we even know what the kingdom's about. But even then, I want to say to you, just let me just quote the words of Jesus: If you are numb, it's okay. The kingdom of heaven is open for you. He didn't really say that. I just made that up. (laughs) If you are broke, it's okay. The kingdom of heaven is open to you. What does that mean? It's not paying my bills. I want to dare you. Come into that reality. And see how the governance of the kingdom of heaven changes everything. When we have little, we give. (laughs) What's that? That's so opposite to the world. Are you serious? You're crazy. I've only got five bucks. I'm going to keep that and make it last. God says, sow it like a seed and it will multiply. And it's not like a money message. If you pour down and out, lift up your voice and sing a song. If you feel depressed, start declaring the promises that God spoke over your life. If you feel hopeless, call someone that you know that remembers a prophecy that someone spoke over your life randomly one day and let them speak it to you again and stir yourself up because those are the kingdom realities that has any sustainable reality to it that we hold on to. Because we live in a world where our feet get dirty, man. We live in a world that's fallen and it's reality. But the Beatitudes invite us back into the kingdom. Come on in. Come on in. It's, a, it's beautiful. And so the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees are opposite to that of the kingdom. You know why? Stay with me. The scribes and the Pharisees, and Jesus says here, yeah, the law is now, it's not something that that is ignored. The law's perspective has just changed. It's become something that's written inside of us that we delight to obey. We're not fanatics, like we're not fanatical because we are no longer trapped by religion, we are in relationship with God. That's why you can't be a part of the kingdom unless you are in a real love relationship with the king of the kingdom. And then you'll see how this kingdom operates so, so opposite. The scribes and the Pharisees found all their goodness from how well they did it, obeying the rules. So they obeyed the rules, but they didn't know the Christ. They didn't know the, the king. They did everything like the kingdom, but they didn't know the king. It's literally like if you go to watch a soccer game, and everybody's dressed up on the side of the field, kicking and stretching and kicking the ball and passing the ball to each other, but the game never starts. And then 40 minutes later, they all get put back their tracksuit pants, and they put they say, bye guys, see you next week, so we can stand on the sideline and wear our soccer outfits. And that's the reality. As were the scribes and the Pharisees. I don't think they were bad guys. They were just fanatic to prove that they are good by obeying the law. And God says, no one can do it. Let me invite you into a new reality. It's called my kingdom. And you can come in and you welcome. And that's why on and on through the Gospels as you read, invite, don't invite to your house for dinner. That is a, in a very, very clear cultural context there. Don't just invite the rich and the famous and the wealthy. Invite the poor and the beggars and the rejected. Because that's what the kingdom of God is like. Don't let your right hand know what your left hand's doing and giving. It's a secret thing. Why? Because our reward is not here and now. It can be here and now. And then that's that. It's like a big flash in the pan and it's over. But those things done with, a, with the kingdom reality in mind, in secret, is a reward in heaven. So if our righteousness is based on what we do and how well we're doing at Christianity, I still don't think we've entered the kingdom. And the reality of a, of a people that live uh, with an awareness of the kingdom of heaven is, is that it is salty. Your life is salty. Which means you, 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 you provoke a thirst in people's lives. A thirst in people's lives. I know I've experienced this big time and I know that, I've, I know that you have. Maybe people just asking you, what's up with you? What's the deal with you? You're not normal. Why have you got? Why are you happy now? Everybody's sad. Why have you got so much hope? It's so hopeless. Why? Why? Why, do you, why are you going on a Sunday morning at minus 495? Are you going to church? Might as well be. There is no difference between minus 17 and minus 20, 200. It's very little difference. It's just like what is different about us? And it's not our fanaticism. It's not even this passion that I feel. It's much more than the passion. It's it's Jesus, the King of the kingdom, inviting us in, in submission to Him. Perhaps from a kingdom perspective, all these words look completely different, like discipline. They look different from a kingdom perspective. Obedience, they look different from a kingdom perspective. If they're from outside the kingdom, we just have a self-righteous reality like the scribes and the Pharisees. John 3 verse 5, unless you are born again, you cannot. Matthew 18, unless you become like a child, you cannot come in. But the, but the invitation is yours today. And it's the beginning of a journey, and it can never stop. And the kingdom reality really in our lives need to eventually so, so overthrow the, our current realities that everything that we experience every day, when you drive, when you see, when you connect with people, when you shake someone's hand, when you go to your same mundane job, when you go, not everybody's job is mundane, I'm just making an Statement there when you when you connect with people every day you are no longer seeing people from an earthly point of view why because you are completely veiled your eyes see only love love is the only juice in the kingdom love love wins love overpowers love covers a multitude of sin love is the deal why because God does not love He is love and so what do we represent in the kingdom love which means there's space, which means there's discipline, which means there's order, which means there's grace. And it's freely invited into. Which means everything we do, like Tom always says, is from a place of victory, not unto a place of victory. Let me try harder so I can be victorious one day and overcome this. No, you are called an overcomer. Where? In the kingdom. So if you're not really in the kingdom, and Jesus is not really the Lord is just a homeboy or a cool t-shirt or a, an associate of yours or a friend or a buddy, then really the, the reality of, the, of, those, of that kingdom will never really become the, um, the, uh, the predominant way of life for you. And so you can answer yourself honestly. Don't answer me or anyone. How do I respond to these beatitudes? I'm going to read one quote to be done. It's a a book called Divine Conspiracy, Dallas Willard. It's amazing. It's just a page and a half, all right? It said, The Silly Side of Salvation. There is, first of all, a silly side which turns suddenly somber. If you look at the advertising and current events in the print and in other medias, for example, as you encounter them in supermarkets, checkouts, newsstands, bookstores, television, on the radio, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, every other way that you can think of, everything that's bombarded, you might think that the most unfortunate people in the world today are the bald, the thin, the fat. See, I'm, I made it to that list. The thin, the thin I'm talking about, the thin, the ugly, the old. The relentlessly engaged in romance, sex, fashionably equipped, physically um, activated, the sad truth is that many people around us, especially people in their teens and young adulthood, drift into the lives in which being thin and correctly shaped, having glorious hair, apparent youthfulness, and so forth, are are the only terms of blessedness or woe for their existence. Does that make sense to you guys? You're either blessed if you have great hair, that's a lie, trust me, I'm blessed. It is all they know, or it's all we know. They've heard nothing else. Many people today really are in this position, and if you judge from what they devote time and effort to, you have a stark realization that the thin and the fat and the thinning hair and the bad complexions be wrinkled or flabby (laughs) is experienced by them. In unconditional personal condemnation. They find themselves beyond the limits of human acceptability. This is a fact about them. Guys, it's a fact. In North America, there are public forums on, uh, I can't remember the website. I used to be addicted to it, but I don't read it anymore. Of the suicide rates. Do you know what it's about? I was too thin. I was too fat. I was too ugly. The attitudes fly super strong in that reality. The fact about them, regardless of how silly it seems to say, how silly of you, it is not exactly to bring Jesus' good news of the kingdom to them. Instead, Jesus took time in his teachings to point out the natural beauty in every human being. He calls attention to how most glamorous person you know, Solomon, and all his splendor is, as ravishingly, is not as ravishingly beautiful, beautiful as a simple flower from the field. Just place a daffodil side by side with anyone at a presidential inauguration ball or at the Motion Picture Academy Awards and you will see. But the abundant life of the kingdom flowing through us makes us of greater natural beauty than any plant. God, who makes the grass so beautiful here today and tomorrow, the burntest fuel, will clothe you. Many faiths even more beautifully. Matthew 6 verse 30. This is the gospel for the silly world that we live in. All the more needed because, of the, because the silly is made a matter of life and death for so many people. Sin, for that matter, is so silly. If the kingdom did not reach us in our silliness, who would save us? Lostness does not have to wear a stuffed shirt to find redemption. So we must see from our hearts that blessed are the physical repulsive. Many years ago, we were in Uganda at the northern border of Bali and Sudan. And there was a man who had a disease. I don't know what it was. But he had a growth on his face. I can't explain it to you. The growth was like this, okay? You couldn't see. He didn't have a human face, but he was a human being. And I could not believe this guy had a mouth or eyes, or a nose. He had a complete growth on his face, and he was an utter and complete outcast. And my friend Paul Wabukoma, I'm not going to cry. I'm going to keep talking. He was a pastor in Uganda in the mountains there during the regime of Kenneth Kaunda, and he walked up to this man and just held him. Just held him. Stood, talked to him in their language, and. When this guy spoke back, you could see that he must have a cavity in his face somewhere to speak through. And I was so convicted by this. I was so convicted because blessed are the physically repulsive. Because the kingdom is here. Blessed are those who smell bad. Blessed are the twisted. Blessed are the misshaped. Blessed are the deformed. Chan sent me a picture from the leper colony this week. He sends me the classic white guy picture with all the rest of the guys, you know, there. And, and it was him, he was in a leper colony. do you got to go there as well. Yeah. Blessed are the people who are too big, too little, too loud, too bald, too fat, too old, too thin. They are all richly celebrated in the party of Jesus Christ and on a more serious side then there are the seriously crushed ones the flunk outs the guys who quit the drop outs, the burnt out the broke the broken the drug heads, the divorced the HIV positives the herpes ridden the brain damaged, the incurably ill the barren, the pregnant too many times, or at the wrong time. The overemployed, the underemployed, the unemployed, the unemployable, the swindler, the shoved aside one, the replaced one, the parents with children living in the street, the children with parents dying in the rest room. the lonely, the incompetent, the stupid The emotionally starving, the emotionally dead, and on and on. Is this true? That earth is no sorrow that heaven cannot heal. It is true. That is precisely the gospel of heaven's availability that comes to us through these beautiful Beatitudes. Amen. Amen. Lord, I thank you. Uh, Actually don't have many words to describe how amazing you are. But I'm grateful and uh, thank you that you say you have us in the palm of your hand. The kingdom is here. We thank you for that, Lord. Amen. You know, I got distracted. I was telling you about God positioning us, okay, just in view of what I've just prayed here. I believe there's a new move of God that's, 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 that's starting to take shape on the earth. One of the major moves of God was the mass gatherings of people in the 60s through ministries like Billy Graham and others where literally 20,000 people got saved in a day. I remember our crusades in South Africa. Honestly, we did Tanzania every November. We had 150,000 to 250,000 people at crusades and 100,000 people would get saved at a time. It was just a week of just like pouring everything out and hundreds of thousands. I think those days are coming to an end. Now, God can do whatever He wants to do, but I feel that there's an exponential move to the mass gatherings. Because in Dar es Salaam, there was four million people and only 150,000 came to hear the gospel and only 100,000 got saved. And I thank God for every soul, obviously. But I feel that was there and that was then. I feel there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's another reformation upon us. I don't want you to miss it. I definitely don't want you to miss it because you sat in a church where you were entertained and where you were never encouraged to worship God individually and to press in and to wait on Him and to rest and to find Him and to engage with Him. I don't want you to sit in a church like that and at the end of it all say, oh, we never knew. But each one of us, each one of you, is a soldier. <laughs> Potentially have limitless power because you live in a kingdom. So I do feel that there's a generation, there are those that keep the hope through generations. Siggy prophesied that over us the last time she was here, that we keep hope alive through a generation. And the younger guys, I want to tell you, I want to to tell you, I want to urge you, it's not really about you, it's about Jesus, and I know you know that. The older guys, there's lots more, there's lots more to be had, okay? Lots more, lots more to be had. But I do believe that God is positioning us at the beginning of a move where our ecclesiology is going to be dismantled. I really do believe that. I'm not just saying this because I've heard it. And by ecclesiology, I mean the way that we think church operates. Can you hear me? The way that church operates is being dismantled. Even things like this. The emphasis and the the, the power, the impotence of the church will be day to day. Day to day. Every connection you have, there will be the fullness of the power of God. As we see in Jesus when he said, greater things you guys will do than I will do is in you and in me. Daily, wherever you are. We are the salt. We are the light. The days of participatory Christianity is over, friends. It's over. You cannot remain anonymous in the kingdom. You have a brother and a sister and a savior. You're not just nobody. You can't just come and go. There's a whole order to this beautiful kingdom. And I feel God's position does for that. Okay? I apologize for speaking so long today. Forgive me.